0: Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smart-nized! Today's episode, Weasel Words 2. This is a sequel to the original Weasel Words podcast. I got a lot of good feedback on that. People really liked it, and I think I'm probably going to do this once in a while. Because you have to constantly be checking your bullshit meter. There are people out there, professional spin doctors, whose entire job is to throw that meter off, to discombobulate it, to misconstrue it, to make you change your perception of reality by adopting new words. For instance, if you stop calling them swamps and instead you start calling them wetlands, you've changed your perception of what they are. You've changed your own reality. And that's exactly what these people want you to do to get you to adopt their viewpoints. And they're good at their job. And so that's why every once in a while you just want to sit down and check that bullshit meter and say, you know, maybe I just need to recalibrate it a little bit. For instance, we're going to start off with one that has fooled a lot of very smart folks. Maybe it's even fooled you. You think you're a skeptic. You think that you're very careful about what you accept and what you believe. But this is so pervasive that it may have gotten past your bullshit meter. And the phrases are passive smoking and secondhand smoke. The scientific word environmental tobacco smoke isn't loaded at all. But when you make it passive smoking, and you make it second-hand smoke, that makes it personal. Oh, my God, you vicious, nasty, filthy smokers are forcing me to smoke, too! The phrase passive smoking was invented by Fritz Lickett, who at the time was working for Adolf Hitler's Anti-Tobacco League. Adolf was the original nicotine Nazi, and he hated smokers almost as much as today's nicotine Nazis do. In fact, if you look at the policies that he put in place and the policies that they espouse, you'll find an eerie similarity. But there is one important difference. He was actually less draconian than they are. Now, I realize I'm getting close to Godwin's Law on this and don't want to spend a lot of time on this particular aspect of it, but a couple of years ago I did some research on it and wrote an article about it, and there'll be links to that in the show notes. If you're a non-smoker, just how much smoke are you inhaling when you're in a smoky environment? The numbers are all over the place. Some experts claim a half a pack a day, some a pack a day, some two packs a day, and the reason that there's so much variation in these numbers is because they're all pulling them out of their asses. Covance Labs in England did a study quite a while ago where they took 200 people who lived or worked in smoky environments and they attached air monitors to them little machines that would breathe like they did, and they found that people who live or work in smoky environments inhale an average of six cigarettes per year. That's right, folks, six per year. By the time you get it, that's how dilute it is. Oak Ridge National Laboratories repeated this study a little more recently, and they came up with pretty much the same results. Now, bear in mind that a primary smoker smokes 14,000 to 35,000 cigarettes a year, and about a third of them will get sick from it, but it takes them 20 years to do it. Are you going to believe that all these horrible things that the nicotine nannies have been telling you happen from secondhand smoke happen from six cigarettes per year? Let's take a quick look at the study that started this all, the 1993 EPA study. This was done as a meta-analysis. Now, there are a couple of different ways to do statistical studies, and a meta-analysis is the least accurate and most easily faked of just about all of them. The way that it works is you take a bunch of other studies that showed very, very weak correlations, you throw it in a blender, you press the button marked Contrived, and then you just basically yank out any numbers that you want. Now, the EPA, using this method, still wasn't able to come up with the numbers that they needed. They started out with 34 studies. They cherry-picked 11 of them. They still couldn't get the numbers that they wanted. None of the numbers were statistically significant, so they did something that I've never seen done anywhere else. They doubled their margin of error. Let me repeat that. They doubled their margin of error in order to make the numbers statistically significant now that gave them 1500 deaths but that wasn't enough for them Uh, so they said well you know what all the cherry-picking we did were all studies about women so since we didn't include men we can just double that number and actually what they did was they put in a for men and then 500 just for the hell of it and came up with 3000 deaths out of 280 million people. Let's review for a moment, shall we? They ignored two-thirds of the data. They doubled their margin of error, and then they doubled the number they came up with after that in order to come up with 3,000 deaths out of 280 million people. This study was so bad that it was actually overturned by a federal judge, a federal judge with a history of siding with the government on tobacco issues. It took him 92 pages to document all of the fraud, and he didn't even go to the end. He stopped before the last couple of chapters. That number, of course, has been steadily increased. It's been increased to 50,000 and then 53,000. Uh, 63,000 is the most uh, common one that you see today. Although, I just saw a debate with the American Cancer Society. Uh, they, were, they were arguing for the ban that just went through in Washington. They claimed 38,000. Again, why such a variance in numbers? Well, because they're pulling them out of their ass. It's that simple. Another question is, why do these numbers continually go up as the number of smokers go down and the number of places they can smoke go down. You would think that so would the number of second-hand smoke deaths. Well, they would, if they weren't fictional. Now, to really and truly understand statistics takes some work, and it takes some time. And I've actually thought of doing a show on it, but I can't think of any way to really make it entertaining. you really got to sit down and kind of understand the different kinds of studies, the confidence intervals, the relative risks, and how all those things work. It's important that you understand them, not just for this issue, but for all the other medical claims that we see being made. Once again, I'm going to refer you to the website, and I'm going to refer you to the show notes, and I'm going to refer you to a site of mine called The Facts. And even if you're not interested at all in the tobacco issue, Take some time, go to the Epidemiology 101 and 102 sections and learn some of the facts about how statistics work. And that will smartenize you on the subject so well that sometimes you'll just be able to look at a headline and it'll set off your bullshit meter. You see a headline that says, doing X causes a 25% increase in Y and you'll immediately be able to say, that's bullshit. And you'll know why. The next weasel word that we're going to look at is urban sprawl. We hear a lot about this. Anytime a new development goes up anywhere, we hear people complaining and screaming and crying. Oh, the sprawl, it's terrible. It's a terrible, evil, bad thing. Now, i got to admit that I'm not really thrilled with a lot of these developments that go up. Just aesthetically, I find them rather appalling. They give them names like Pine Valley Acres, and all the pines have been cut down, and all the valleys have been leveled, and all the homes are on quarter-acre plots. And sometimes, just driving through, and these houses just look the same, one right after another, you kind of get the feeling that maybe some night a man could come home drunk, pull into the wrong driveway, get into bed with the wrong wife, get up in the morning, say goodbye to the wrong kids, get in his car, go off to work, and none of them, not the man, not the wife, not the kids, would have any idea that anything was even slightly out of order. But I always thought it would be fun to be a developer and to take one of these places and give them all street names that were very, very, very similar. So, for instance... Uh, I'd call it Pleasant Valley. And I'd have all the street names would be like um, Pleasant Street, Pleasant Drive, Pleasant Lane, Pleasant Avenue, Pheasant Street, Pheasant Drive, Pheasant Lane, Pheasant Avenue, Peasant Street, Pheasant Drive, Peasant Lane, Peasant Avenue, and so on. And once the development was all put together and people were living there every once in a while just for fun. I'd call up random people and ask for directions to their houses. But, you know, I make fun of this because that's what I do. But the fact of the matter is, these people have chosen these lifestyles because that's what they want. They want a nice house. They want nice neighbors. And they want things nearby, like gyms and shopping centers and malls and churches. And who are we to tell them, you can't have that? you've got to either live in the city or live in the country because this sprawl is terrible. But let's take a look at the numbers and see if sprawl is really the problem that we're being told that it is. You know how much land is developed in the United States? Any idea? Three percent. Three percent of the land in the United States is developed, and that includes cities, and towns, and villages, and the horrible urban sprawl suburbs. I know I've seen an awful lot of these things go in around where I live, in upstate New York, but I also know that I'm three minutes away from the country, and I can drive for miles and miles, and I can drive for hours, and only see one house every two or three miles. We've got an awful lot of big, empty, open space in this country, And complaining about sprawl is just nonsense. And last of all, and this one I'm just going to do rather quickly, because you probably already have this one already. There is a book that was published in 1911 called The Devil's Dictionary by Ambrose Bierce. And it's great. Even though this is nearly 100 years old, the definitions that are in it are still pretty right on today. For instance, he describes a lawyer as one skilled in circumvention of the law. He describes a homeopathist as the humorist of the medical profession. And he describes a conservative as a statesman who is enamored of existing evils, as distinguished from the liberal who wishes to replace them with others. Now the far right has been very successful in making the word liberal a dirty word, which is really kind of a shame because you can be left of center and still be a perfectly decent, intelligent human being. But it's the far left, the Michael Moores and the Louis Farrakhans and the Al Frankens and those kind of folks who have really given the left a really bad name. And so the left is now calling themselves progressives. If you look at progressive platforms and progressive agenda, You'll see that it's really far left. It's not even a good replacement for a left of center. It's way left. It's not just liberal. It's socialist, as the far left is. And also, and you probably know this one already too, green is nothing more than socialism, the red bitter pill of socialism with a candy mint coating around it pretending to be a little more environmentally friendly, but it's really far-lefty socialist stuff. But that's a gimme. I'm sure most of you have already set your bullshit meter for that one, so it's not even an issue. Hey, that's it for this episode of Quick Hits. If you have tweaked your bullshit meter at all, if you have twisted the knobs, if you've adjusted the dials, if you've just thought about things that you haven't thought about before, Congratulations, you've been smartenized. I've made a lot of references here to the website. Usually you don't need that with a podcast, but on this particular one, there's an awful lot of links and an awful lot of things that you might want to check out. So if you go to DaveHit.com, and that's spelled with two T's, on the front page you'll see a link to the Quick Hits podcast. Go there and you'll find all this stuff in the show notes all laid out there for you. And there'll be lots of things there to help continue in your smartenization. I really love getting email from people, so please send me some. You'll find the email address in the MP3 tags of this file and also on the website itself. Send me some stuff. if you want to get vocal about it, you can dial 206-203-4488. That's 206-203-HIT. And leave me a voicemail. Who knows? Maybe it'll show up on a bonus episode somewhere. And if you're a podcaster, I want to invite you to stop by podcastpeers.org and sign up because we're putting together a really cool award there. And we'd like as many podcasters as possible to be part of it. As always, the Quick Hits Podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion. And so should not be taken too seriously.